Another episode of The The Experts. Experts. I'm Aggie Hewitt. I'm Irene Marquette. And this is the second installment of our series. Power Couples. Yes. This is our fourth series. Man. Can you believe it? No. I feel like we just started doing this, but this is number four. This is number four for us. That's That's really exciting. Really a lot. Yeah, it is. Um, this one is good. It is really good. Uh, we are talking about power couples. So every episode we're talking about a different power couple. Since you've clicked on this episode, you know what it was. Yeah. We're talking about Oprah Oprah and Gail. Um, and we want to be clear that we do not think that they're a lesbian. They're not a romantic couple. They're a friendship couple. Yeah. And we're talking about different types of coupling. Yeah, because this is a couple and that, well, honestly, I think we should talk about when we first wanted to do something about Oprah, we were like Oprah and Stedman. And I think we were like, is Stedman a power player? I mean, no, I know that he does like con- business conferences and stuff. Yeah, but but come on, like everybody knows that Oprah's real partner part, yeah. is Gail. Yes. Stedman is great. Stedman's great. And he's, uh, you know what? He's there to make spaghetti for Gail and Oprah when they're reconnecting. Yeah. And he like, hangs he's out in the with kitchen. Them. He's in the kitchen all the time. And he's like, you know, Oprah can just be, let her hair down and be herself around him, but not all the time. Yeah. And she he's going to her- come in and like refill their glasses of wine. <laughs> he's their servant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? But it's an arrangement that works. That's apparently works for everybody. But when you think who is Oprah's partner and you don't think Stedman, you think Gail. Yes. The other half. The other half. They're two sides of the same coin. They really are. And just um, I didn't grow up watching Oprah. I didn't either. I got into Oprah when I was after I graduated from college. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I was, um, yeah, like in my 20s, I got really into Oprah. I loved daytime television Maybe. shows. And uh, I watched, like, by the time I was, like, really into daytime television, I feel like Oprah had transitioned into more, um, like, her audience was more moms. It was, like, you know emotional it was inspirational and i wanted to see really trashy like displays of humanity like i was going to daytime talk shows for that kind of input it wasn't until much later yeah and oprah veered away from that stuff pretty early i think from like the sensationalism yeah because she did it yeah everybody did it in the 80s um but I think her niche and what made her stand out was that she veered away from it and 
decided that she she I know she once had like clan members on the show or something which they all kind of did at that time yeah but hers was especially that incident was uh was like a really revolutionary thing and it had like huge consequences there's a really great podcast that WBEZ in Chicago put out called Making Oprah yeah I listened to that yeah me too and uh they spent some time talking about that whole incident and also her like evolution as kind of a like you're saying a sensationalist talk show host into like you know who she is today yeah after that I think she sort of started to step away from it um it also sounded like uh there was uh something around that time where she was using her body as kind of a selling point and she like uh wheeled out a wagon like yeah she did that that was a little later that, yeah, she lost. She had a huge weight loss, and she came out on stage for like the the premiere episode of her whatever season, and uh, she was carrying a little red wagon of like, this is how much weight I lost, and it looked like it was like human fat in the in the wagon. Yeah, yeah. And she in uh, she has said that that was like her one big regret. Yeah, because I think it so. like really set the narrative for her weight as a focal point well her weight was already a focal i mean her weight was going to be a focal point and she was always been really honest about her weight and her insecurities and stuff and that's why people part of why everybody relates to her so well or not everybody but well me (laughs) and lots of other people too um that's part of why you know she's so beloved is that she's so honest but yeah i guess she regretted doing that and um yeah, I think that's cool. And I think it's cool that she talked about that, too. I thought so, too. Um, yeah, she's... Uh, I I just... Um, in, like, preparing for this episode, mm-hmm. getting to watch a lot of, like, old footage of Oprah and Gail together was extremely delightful. It was delightful. And I had never been a huge Oprah and Gail person. Yeah, I was pretty uninformed about the two of them. Yeah, I mean, I knew because I like I said, I came to Oprah late. I mean, I was I got into Oprah. There was like a period of time after I graduated from college where I was like kind of just like didn't really have anything going on. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I had like a lot of free time in the mornings and I just kind of got into watching Oprah I uh, when I was in Chicago, it was on in the, here. Most places it was on in the afternoon, but where we lived in Chicago was where they shot it. And it was on at like nine or 10 in the morning. I, um, yeah, I never watched it then either. There was like a, like a, te- I don't know, a 12 year chunk of time that I didn't have like normal TV. Like, yeah. we, uh, do you remember when uh, antennas, cause we had like a television antenna, like, I mean, like in my 20s and then it all switched over to digital, like the signals for everyday television came out. That was, yeah, I remember when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, everything is gone now. Like you had to switch to cable. You had to switch to cable or you had to like have a television that could like pick up a digital signal. It like had an antenna in it or something. (laughs) I don't even, to this day, I, all I know is that like. I couldn't watch TV anymore. Everything went crazy. <laughs> and this, that's when I, I was like, Netflix, mail me DVDs. <laughs> I know. And then Netflix would mail you DVDs. Yeah. And you would watch television through Netflix, Netflix DVDs. Can you imagine you this dark it. age? <laughs> We're old, you guys. A lot of people are like, what the fuck are these what bitches are you talking, talking about? about? 
Well, when I moved to Chicago in 2005, my first job was in the West Loop and it was a job I had gotten through a temp agency and he did that um, kind of shady thing you always hope happens when you work for a temp agency that the boss is like, you're awesome. How about we'll just, I'll just hire you and we'll go from here because they pay the temp agency like $15 an hour and then the temp agency pays you like $9 Wait, an hour or whatever. What? I do not know what you're talking about. Did you ever work for a temp agency? No. Well, you know, you you register with the agency and then they send you out on like temporary jobs. Yeah. So sometimes it's three days. Sometimes it's like a two week assignment, whatever it is. And this first boss that I had would get employees through this temp agency as kind of like because you know, you're pretty heavily vetted when you uh, go through there. Like you have to type a certain amount, you have to have a certain amount of experience, whatever. Uh-huh. And then they, he can like take you for a test run. But there's such a high, um, like the agency takes such a huge percentage of whatever they're paying. So like if he's paying, you know, $15 an hour, the agency's maybe paying you like 10 or $11 an hour, maybe. And then he says... Let's skip the middleman. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That makes sense. That's yeah. like I've done that with like babysitting yeah, like yeah. agencies. Yeah. Yeah. So he was uh, in the West Loop. He had a like marketing company. But anyway, it was like two blocks west of Oprah Studios. Oh, wow. And I used to walk down there and people would be like lined up around the block. Yeah. Just going ape shit for Oprah. Ape shit for Oprah. Man. And you know, that's a haunted studio. By what ghost? Well, apparently, uh, you know, there's some nightclub in the loop that had like a big fire. No, no. I'm sorry. It was the boat that capsized in the Chicago River. Yes. You know the story? Yes. They took all the bodies to the building that became Oprah's studio. That's insane. Yeah. Chicago was cool. Chicago was cool. There were all these great ghost stories. Yeah. But people who worked in her studio would say that like, you know, it was haunted. I'm sure it's haunted. (laughs) I'm sure it is. There's a lot of haunted spots in Chicago. Yeah, the whole place. The whole city. Um, But yeah, and then she, what is it now? Do you know? Uh, Well, for a brief time, it was Rosie O'Donnell show. Yeah. I saw a show there. You did? I did. Rosie? uh, Yes, and it was um, Elaine Stritch. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, On the Rosie O'Donnell show? Yeah, or maybe it was Phyllis Diller. It was an old lady. An old lady. It was yeah. an old lady, and they went with pizzazz with a bunch of pizzazz, and they reached out to the Chicago comedy community to pack the audience with Chicago comedy women. I vaguely remember this. I don't know if I was living there. I don't think you were, because but I feel like I heard about this after it was over. They gave us all snuggies and oil of Olay, like night cream that sounds nice and a toblerone and it was the best and a dvd of like the documentary about this woman's life lovely lovely so that's the last thing i heard and uh yeah maybe it was another studio for what like i think there's just a lot of turnover it's still a studio though i think so yeah yeah Yeah. i mean once you've got a studio yeah you might as well use it I don't know. I don't know what it is. I know that Oprah, I don't think Oprah has anything to do with it anymore. No. No. She's long gone. Did yeah. you ever drive past her um, alleged home? No. In uh, the Gold Coast? No. 
It's just like, you know, those buildings down um, like near the Contemporary Art Museum. Yeah. Like right near the beach. They're all so like they're old and beautiful. Like a like I guess it's not a brownstone, but it's like a townhouse, but like a house. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Like in New York, like exactly. the man, like Jeffrey Epstein's house. <laughs> exactly, but yeah. better because Oprah's in it, Oprah not a rapist. Exactly. Um, so, okay, Gail and Oprah are one year apart. Oprah yeah. is one year older. Yes. And Gail was born in Maryland. Gail was born in Maryland and then spent a lot of time traveling between Maryland and Turkey because her father was um, an electrician who was uh, did contract work for the U.S. government and had to go abroad all the time. So I think she did a lot of her education at a um, at a like a, an American school in Turkey. Yeah. And they were upper middle class. One thing that we hear a lot about Oprah and Gail's origin story is that uh, Gail had a maid and a pool. Mm -hmm. So she was, you know, she had a comfortable upbringing. She had a comfortable upbringing, although she was certainly like an other in pretty much every environment she was in. And you hear a lot of stories about her being the only black kid in like mostly white spaces and schools and like you know, the types of things that other kids would say to her growing up were horrible. They're yeah. horrible. But regardless, like she did come from like a life of privilege and, uh, in the narrative and mythology of Gail and Oprah's life together, it is sharply contrasted with Oprah's story growing up in Mississippi, born to a single mom, uh, raised by a grandmother. Yeah. And the story of her childhood is really, horrifying horrible so she was i mean she was born and as a little girl she um she she lived in basically i mean like basically like a one-room shack essentially abject poverty abject poverty dirt roads no electricity um and and like just like no way out i think like the the thing that is repeated kind of over and over again was just like not even it's just like the absence of acknowledgement of choice. Yeah. There's no, like the best you could hope for is that, you know, your life of servitude is, you know, rewarded less bad than the people who came before you. Yeah. And we saw like some, you know, quotes from her parents, her from her mother about how, you know, hoping that she was going to become a maid someday. But I do know from other things that I've read about Oprah that she always had, um, the gift of gab and and as a child um, would do a lot of uh, recitals at her church. And she always just was a pretty dynamic personality. I think that, I think that was sort of a natural gift of hers um, before, you know, even though she was like living in this horrible condition in these horrible conditions, she was like a kind of a standout person. Yeah. Gifted, as special like a star from a young age and just having that like ambition that this was not her fate and you know that there was like a bigger path and purpose for her and like just making that happen yeah for herself. And she totally like through sheer force of will just made herself be oprah winfrey it's incredible She's it's just incredible like person, every yeah. time i hear her story it just like sends i i just get like uh, shivers it's crazy yeah so when Gail and Oprah meet up, like despite their, um, you know, Gail's 
upbringing and Oprah's upbringing, by the time they meet, uh, Oprah is uh, hosting. Oprah's hosting this talk show. So Oprah goes through sort of a... Oprah left. uh, She was in Mississippi, and then I think she went and moved and lived with her father in the Midwest. And she started doing beauty pageants and winning these like all-white beauty pageants. Um, There were some that were segregated but not officially just sort of through tradition and she got herself on and she i know one of the ones that she won was um, miss fire prevention (laughs) which was a big deal she ended up getting a job on a radio show um i think in baltimore and then from there she ended up hosting a show on a network called wjz uh in baltimore and the show Gosh, what was the show called? It was called like the Everybody's Talking or something. People like are that. talking. People are talking. And is it worth? I mean, it's definitely worth mentioning that like she became pregnant when she was fourteen yes. and uh, had a child that did not live past its infancy. Yes, and that of course, like I mean, for anybody is a major turning point in her life. And like it sounds like the to hear her tell it, it sounds like that really like lit a fire under her. And I think that she. I mean. I think she sort of saw it as a second chance. Like she could have been a teenage mother and it didn't. And her, it, she wasn't. And, um, yeah, she, I think I read somewhere that she hid her pregnancy and, um, the, and, uh, yeah. And she ended up like determined to pull herself out of the life that she was kind of born into. And she certainly did. Oh, she absolutely did. The first black female billionaire. Unbelievable. Okay. So in 1976, uh, she's on people are talking, which you mentioned, and that is where she meets Ms. Gail King. Yeah. Gail is the PA. She's the host. So is the host. Oprah's, yeah. Gail is a production assistant. So she's like a grunt, like coffee getting. You Oprah's know. making like twice what Gail is making, which is honestly how it should be. Now Oprah would be making like 10 times ten what Gail's f- at least. F- like, <laughs> yeah, a hundred times. Yeah. But at the time, that was a big gap. Well, um, and it's also hard. It's hard to know like how indicative that is of like even that structure at that time because they're both women and because they're both women of color. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm sure uh, the The people who are writing the checks were, yes. I'm sure was getting paid more than Oprah was. Oh, yeah. By By a lot. Probably another doubling, I'm sure. Um, so they have this like great origin story yes that you know if you i feel like if you know them at all you know this story because it pops up over and over again yeah it starts on a blustery night a dark and stormy night (laughs) and gail uh can't get home she just can't get home I don't know why, but she has. It's so rainy outside. Too, I think it's maybe it's snowing. I don't maybe know. Maybe the weather is just bad. The weather outside is frightful, <laughs> but the fire and Oprah's house is, is delightful. Very delightful. So Oprah invites Gail over to her house, and she's like, "I really must stay." I know. And then they do. <laughs> it is. It's like it's got a little baby. It's cold outside. Um, Happy vibe. holidays. Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, <laughs> Um, so Oprah invites Gail over and they spend the night together and they stay up all night talking, connecting, shooting the shit, shooting the shit, but they really like it. Like they're stay up all night talking about how they have these shared experiences of feeling like they are, they don't really relate. They don't feel like, I think 
they just don't fit in anywhere else, but they fit in with each other. Yeah, and I feel like uh, this origin story is so important because it's the opposite of the thing of like, oh, there can only be one in any one situation. And like you look around a room and you're the only person like you in the room and somebody else comes in who looks like you, you're going to feel competition with that person and not every other person in the room. Right. But it's like, you should feel solidarity with that person. And that's like, what's so powerful about this is that they like, it feels like this night of them like sitting and talking and hashing it out and like, you know, talking about their backgrounds and their ambitions and like, you know, their role in this world, it feels like they formed an alliance and yeah. it, it, you know, it persists and thrives to this day Absolutely and like thrive. changed in so many ways. And it's like, it's really inspiring. And, and they've been friends for like 40 years, best friends for 40 years. Yeah, that's insane. It's insane. And I feel like that's the, you know, that's, that's the lesson. Like you, you know, you have to like link arms and yeah. be like, that is the lesson. Okay, of sister. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it's, it's the OG Chronicles. That is the OG Chronicles as their as their own network show online would eventually would, be will called. Um, wow, okay, we love them. Okay, love them. okay. So they have this night. Um, and magical night. Magical night. Then I read somewhere that the next day they went to the mall and Oprah bought two sweaters for nineteen ninety nine. And Gail was like, "How wow. can you afford that? Wow, you're really rich." <laughs> <laughs> Which honestly, as far as the story goes, does feel like gilding the lily a little bit. Like I don't understand that anecdote. I don't really, but I mean, it's journalism. That's what happened. Yeah. All right. It's a an inverted pyramid. Um, I mean, even still, there are still times in my life right now that I would be like, oh, you got two $20 sweaters. Look at you. You're doing all right. <laughs> Fair. I, st- all right, I, mean, I stand correct. I mean, <laughs> hey, I've been there. Um, okay. So they go to the mall. Then they just like continue to be best friends for years. Um, then in, so uh, at some point, Gail moves on from her life as a PA. And uh, she meets her husband the same year that... Um, she marries her husband that year. I don't know when they met. Oh, right. In 1982, she marries a man with the unfortunate name of William Bumpus. Billy Bumpus. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Bumpus. Who I guess went on to have a pretty good career, but at this point, he's a cop. Uh, and Oprah was her maid of honor and Oprah was not into this union from the beginning you know what hindsight is 2020 and it's real easy to sit across from your friend when she's going through a divorce and be like I always knew it I never liked that guy yeah come on where were you where were you then where were you being like girl what are you doing get out of this (laughs) and and I mean Gail's children are beautiful her children are like very good looking children like they're adults now and they're just very they're beautiful handsome like they just are boy is so handsome the boy is handsome the girl is beautiful i mean they're yeah gail is gorgeous gail is beautiful too nobody ever talks about how beautiful gail is and also no one ever talks about how beautiful oprah is yeah because she's like overweight i think but she and she's got this like maternal sort of like i'm your best friend i'm your mom i'm your sister this like familial thing to her well and i also think she does the thing of like making fun of herself before you can do it and it like i think that that action in general like um hides the per it's a thing that makes like trains the audience to like see the flaws yeah instead of you know 
I think that she, like, I don't think that she was a beauty queen. Yeah. That was how, I mean, so many women in media got their start being beauty queens because that was their only sort of way into the public, like, onto the public stage or whatever. But, you know, you kind of have to be beautiful to be a beauty queen. And she was. Exactly. And, I mean, like, aesthetics aside, like, what she's accomplished is what she's accomplished is like more than this, <laughs> more than her looks for sure. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's, you know, it, it's a moot system of judgment when you're talking about people, like people who have achieved the types of things that somebody like Oprah has achieved, yes. like their physical form is like not Irrelevant. even a point. But it, yeah. but it is. Cause it's like, I mean, she used everything she possibly could to her advantage. Totally. Um, I, can I tell you that I saw her Oprah? Okay. Last year. So, uh, I, um, yes, last in 2018, I went to England for press for blockers with, uh, my boss, Kate, who directed blockers. Yeah. And we got to stay in a five-star hotel in London and (gasps) Oprah had the whole top floor. You did tell me this. Because they were doing press for uh, A Wrinkle in Time and Ava DuVernay was there and we got to meet her and like Kay went up to her and was like, I'm such a big fan. Of Ava? Yeah, of Ava. Well, yeah. And uh, she was like in this beautiful blue dress and like I shook her hand. It was like a really, it was a really, it was amazing. That's amazing. And then I, 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 this is like the, I mean, the only time in my life, of course, I've ever been in like a five-star hotel and I got a per diem Mm -hmm. for the room. So I met a friend of mine who lived in London and we were like, where should we go? Where should we go? And I was like, oh my God, I have like money on my room. Like, let's go sit in the, like the tea room and like charge something to the room, like charge something universal, like let's have some fun. So she got like a lobster roll. And then side note, when she, uh, she only ate half of it and she asked for a bag and the hotel brought her a form that she had to fill out saying that if she got like some foodborne illness from eating it, after she left the premises yeah and because she's an artist and she was like this is to shame people it was so interesting but anyway behind me oprah was just like sitting by herself by herself by herself just like glasses on scrolling through her phone just like hanging out having and then like every once in a while somebody would come up and like say something to her and then like it it felt like the word got out and like more and more people were coming up and eventually like she got up and because too many and people left. were coming. Yes, and she was with um, Stella McCartney. At wait, at the tea room or? Yes, Stella McCartney came and somebody I don't remember. And but Stella first she McCartney was by herself for a long. First she was sitting by herself, and then Stella McCartney came and she brought bags of like her own like branded stuff, like some kind of Stella McCartney clothes she brought for Oprah. That was my celebrity sighting of Oprah. I mean, honestly. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of what I would do if I ever saw Oprah in person. That's the one person that I think if I ever saw, I would like lose my mind. (laughs) Like, I think if I ever saw Oprah in person, I would, I would be like a teenage girl seeing Paul McCartney in the sixties. Like I would be like sob. I think I would be like a puddle on the floor (laughs) screaming and convulsing. Like I couldn't handle it. Like I, I just love her. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
<laughs> she's Oprah. Like, sometimes I think about how like Oprah's in her 60s and she's going to die and I get like really scared. <laughs> it's like thinking about like how my parents are going to die. Like I get like really upset when I think about it. I'm like, oh, fuck. Like how many more years of Oprah's No, do I that's have? a long time from now. It's a long, long time. Where you don't it's have to worry about that. 20, 30 years. That's so long from now. <laughs> it's not enough time with her. <laughs> Listen. Society is going to break down and so, she's I mean, going to take her little shuttle. She'll outlive me by years yeah. because I'm going to be down on, with the people on the ground. And 200 years from now, she'll be interviewing Grimes. That's on. right. Oh, my God. And they're both going to look exactly the same. Nothing will have changed. Oh, my God. They're just like they've turned themselves into like a, um, whatever, like the essence of their souls is like on a microchip somewhere. <laughs> Isn't that like what the thing is going to happen? They're yeah, in the cloud. They're in the cloud. Count me out of that. That sounds pure fucking hell to oh, me. Oh, you don't want to go to um, that lesbian beach from Black Mirror? What's no. Do you know what I'm talking about? San Junipero? Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought that was a sad story. <laughs> <laughs> you thought that she should go be with her husband and child? No, I thought that they should all just be dead. <laughs> well, they're not. They're <laughs> They're not. <laughs> it's not. It has nothing to do with like whether or not they're happy. It's like you died. You should be dead. You now. need to be dead. You need to be dead. Uh, Enough of this. That's just my own personal philosophy. Lord. No, it's a good philosophy. <laughs> just <laughs> die. When you're dead, just die. Just okay. Die. Just Come on. Die. I don't need to be in a video game. It's like, you know, the people, the type of people who want to prolong their lives. Who does it? Epstein. Ugh. Walt Disney. He wanted to save his head and his dick, his egg-shaped I dick. I him so much. His egg-shaped dick. Who needs to see that shit? And no one needs your head either. Nobody needs either Jeffrey. one. Unless we bring you back to life and then do something You can tell you. us who killed you. <sighs> That's what And I'm then we kill about. you again. Um, so, uh, we mentioned at the very beginning, like, yes, this is not a romantic relationship between Gail and Oprah. However, these rumors have plagued them for years. They've plagued them, but they sort of like seem to play into them. They think it's kind of funny. We watched a video. They did like a... A road, like a best friend's road trip where they're staying. Yeah. And they're like staying in a, um, in like an RV or something. (laughs) And they're like have to sleep together in the RV and they're like, here come the lesbian rumors. And Gail's like, come on, baby. And Gail's like, and Oprah's like, here I come. And they just like, they're so goofy and silly. And they're just like, these like kind of like, old like buds. I don't know. They're just a couple of buddies. Yeah. It's fun how uh, Oprah plays a straight man. To Gail? Yes. Because I feel yeah, like... Well, she's like the one who's like, I'm high maintenance. I'm Oprah. I can't do this. And Gail's like, come on, Oprah. Stop it. She like takes her down a peg. That's yeah. kind of their shtick. It totally. Yeah. And Gail's just like easy breezy, just like <laughs> having fun. We watched a great video of um, them guessing slang. That was really good. So if you're listening to this, you do have the option of going on, I guess, Oprah.com. <laughs> And watching um, this show that they made called The OG, Oprah and Gail. 
It's called the OG Chronicles. OG Chronicles. And uh, they do like themed things. So they'll like take questions from viewers or like, ma- you know, they're probably made up questions by some producer. They always are. And they're, you know, they just like talk about their own life stories or give advice or whatever. But we yeah. saw an episode, we saw a bunch of episodes, but one episode we saw is where they're guessing slang. Yes. And um, so they're both like in their early 60s now mm-hmm. and uh they both look so amazing they are and, very good looking people and like oprah's you know got like a big curly bouncy yeah gail is like slick and professional yeah. but like she's uh because gail's <laughs> like i'm still working at cbs and oprah's like i'm, I'm retired. retired yeah <laughs> like i do this i do whatever the hell i want i yeah like i'm free stedman my glass is ready for another yeah Stedman, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. She like rings the bell. Stedman comes in with a picture of ice tea for that boat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So the two of that, they're, they, they're like trying to guess um, internet slang or it's like, so it, it's really cute. And Oprah's like, I don't need to know this. And, and Gail is like, I like to stay with it. I just yeah. like want to, I would just like want to like, know. I like to know what's going on. So let's do it. Let's She's do really it. serious. She's like, I want to learn it. And then the <laughs> slang is like what it, it's like lit. They both knew what that was. Yes. Clap um, back. Gail knew that. Clap back. Thirst they, trap. Thirst trap. They figured it out. They use context. They're smart women. You know, you don't get to be where Oprah and Gail are by being stupid. No, no, no. But I will say that Gail was driving the I, logic. Also, Gail has like... I don't know how old her kids are, but they're like maybe early 20s, late teens. Like, I think that she may have been exposed to more of this. And Gail is also way more of the people. I think Oprah lives in way more of a bubble than Gail. Totally. So like... Well, that's like you said, like their shtick, they're, you know, yeah. But I think it's kind of true. It has to be. Absolutely. Because Oprah, I I read this New York Times profile of Gail and she said that her like way back when she was at working as an anchor in Connecticut, her son, who was young at the time, said, I don't want you to be like Auntie Oprah or whatever he calls her. He was like, I like you how you are. Like, she's super rich and super famous. And you're kind of rich and kind of famous. <laughs> and she wise. was like, that's right. And she's like, I like that. She's like, that's what I am. I'm kind of rich and kind of famous. I, I mean, God, that's like enough to ask for well like what more could you want it's almost kind of because then also that interview that i read um they were at this like super buzzy new york brunch place and they talked about what they ordered and gail was eating and i like looked up the place because i always do and i was like i want to go there when they talk about places that they interview people at um and gail is is eating blueberry pancakes and a omelet quesadilla which sounds so good and she walks through the restaurant and people kind of recognize her and she's like how are you doing she's like oh you know where to eat and like kind of like <laughs> being like a little like, like a little mayor <laughs> yeah she's like the little mayor of this like you know bullshit frou-frou like new york brunch place and then she's able to like sit and do this whole interview and you're talking about how you saw Oprah and like she was able to sit there for a little while and then people started coming and coming and eventually she had to leave. Like Oprah can't go to a restaurant. No. Oprah needs like it would have to shut down for her. She's too famous and that's a prison. Yeah. And I feel like um, 
I, I like, uh, did you listen to that Richard Simmons podcast? I love that podcast. It, Actually, it, I have to correct the record. I only listened to like the grand finale of that podcast. Like there was like a big finale and yes. then they did another one about um, Y2K. So I listened to like that. Oh. It was the same guy. Mm. So I listened to like the finale of that one, but not the whole entire thing. Uh, well, um, but I did go to Slowman's. Oh my God. I'm so jealous. Of it you. was a very good experience. I, uh, I took umbrage with parts of that podcast, which is a conversation for another day, mm -hmm. but I did listen to the whole thing and, uh, was like clearly engaged and intrigued by it. But one of the things that I kind of got from it in terms of understanding Richard Simmons character was that like he has given of himself for so long and it's like enough is enough everybody yeah. feels like they own a piece of him or that they deserve a little piece they deserve the performance and the show and i think that there you know there's a certain level of person that like once you get to be that famous you can't escape from that and i feel like oprah is definitely that i feel oh, like yeah people feel entitled to her because she's been broadcast into their homes for like the majority of their lives. Like they know her regardless of whether or not they know, like she knows them and they feel entitled to like her time. And yeah, they all people on TV always say that, or they always say that about people who are on TV. Cause it's like so much more intimate than people you see in the movies. Now it's not really like that because everyone's kind of on everything, but like yeah. There used to be this really clear delineation between like TV people and movie people. Yes. And people who were on TV were in your living room. So you had this emotional, like intimate connection to them that you don't have anymore. Yeah. And well, so now like have, her, who's like five days a week. And I mean, I guess that, you know, maybe there's some analog with like YouTube stars and well, stuff. And also just like having access to like any celebrity on Twitter and just like, I mean, yeah. and, and now you can watch any movie in the palm of your hand. I mean, it's like we have like ownership of these people and, a way more complicated and grotesque way, but like, yes, it's which in a way almost feels like they all kind of like, it's like a dull roar. Yeah. It's because you know? there aren't really movie stars. There no, aren't and stars in the way that there, there's no Oprah of our generation and there probably won't be. No, it feels like she's, yeah. Like she was like right place, right person, right time. Like, and you know, took everything just absolutely to the limit yeah but that comes at such a huge price like and I think when you see the two of them together Oprah and Gail there's always the thing of like is Gail jealous of you is Gail jealous of you and Oprah is always like you know they both have to like protect that idea but I feel like the real question is like is Oprah jealous of Gail yeah like Gail has a level of freedom that Oprah can never have and she's I mean I that that's like I mean it's such a loaded thing of like do successful women like actually want children and families and whatever like Gail has the boy and the girl and the you know like the and, whole, the yeah. whole, this whole other thing. And she's now having this career that Oprah could never have. Right. Um, where Oprah can't interview R. Kelly like that now. It would just be too, cause he would bring up the fact that she was Oprah. Yes. Her, per, like her aura, like permeate, you know, it, it, it's, it's the Oprah. Oppressive. It will always be like about her. She's an amazing interviewer yes, and she, she really can't interview people and make it not about herself. And she still does it from time to time. Um, and whenever she does, it's always she always does it like really skillfully and and tells a story about whoever. 
But um, that moment where, yeah, the R. Kelly interview that she did. Yeah, so uh, Gail... If you haven't seen this, you got to see it. It's it was right around the time that um, Surviving R. Kelly came out and uh, which was the a documentary that Lifetime produced a, like chronicling the decades worth of um, a sexual assault. Yes, that R. Kelly has managed to totally get away with and how complicit like the record industry and the public and the media have been in his crimes. It's like, you know, this bombshell and uh gail king got the interview with r kelly and he is insane he i said he pulls like a brett kavanaugh i feel like he's just like got that same energy because he's she's asking him about the about you know the story and he i don't i didn't rewatch it for this but i did watch it when it first came out and you know, there's like a kind of famous picture now of him just standing up and screaming in her face while she just sits there. And she's so calm. She's so poised. Yeah, she really is. And before that happens, uh, like th- there's a there's a real distinct point where he gets triggered and he starts like crying and he's defending himself. And he's like, there's all these women who've been kidnapped and raped and like nobody's looking for them. And like, I don't need how stupid would I be to like hold these women hostage? How stupid would I be? And it's like to me it feels so clear that he's like chastising himself and that like it's just oh, like weird, so yeah. perverted and weird and uh he's like uh, she's like well how do you explain it how do you explain it and he's like they're lying on me and then like a minute goes by and she's like stone cold and she's like are they robert mm. are they lying on you <laughs> are all these people lying on you <laughs> <laughs> don't lie on gail King about people lying on you. <laughs> Robert. Robert. Are they Robert? Are they lying on you? Oh my God. Oh my God. And just this, uh, just very recently, uh, she got the first interview with Bloomberg. Who's, who's, oh, she did? Yeah. Who said that Trump should be impeached, which is like, such an interesting strategy for him for michael bloomberg yeah well i mean aren't all the democrats saying that, that are i running? mean i guess so. i think the whole democratic party wants him to i mean nancy pelosi just came out today saying they all he, I, I mean, mean they, they are impeaching him, him. Throw him out but yeah i don't know but um she yeah well her career so she was working at uh she was an anchor for like 20 years just sort of holding her own in connecticut and then got this well, she did some work with Oprah and she was always kind of in the spotlights of that. But then she got this spot on CBS's morning show called like Good Morning or something. I don't know what it's called. Yes. Uh, we'll find out. And, it, you know, it's such an inter- again, like it's such an interesting dynamic and something that I think a lot of people can relate to of like the person who um, like vaults ahead and the friend who's just like plugging along, plugging along, plugging along. And uh, to see it on like that kind of level is so interesting. And it must be so weird for, you know, even though like Gail always did really well and like was holding her own and it it seems, I mean, it seems like Gail has had like a good life and she's like happy and satisfied but sometimes, you know, you um, before we started recording, Aggie was reading the list of gifts that Oprah has given Gail um, as 
as uh, reported in the Kitty Kelly biography <laughs> of Oprah. We just like flipped to the back and we're like, what kind of gifts? Did she give her? her. And and I just think like that power dynamic is so skewed and it's it's like so obvious. And I think that that has to be really hard at times. I mean, really expensive gifts can be hard to accept and can make you feel weird. Yeah. And it's such a clear indication of like, I'm more successful than you. Yeah. It's like I, well, one of the things that Oprah did was buy... that we read in the book and I think we read somewhere else was she bought her a house that was like a million dollar house and then in the Kitty Kelly book she says it's like a three million dollar house and I I mean I don't know she wrote her a check for a million dollars so they'd both be millionaires like she she gosh what a dream I mean like I wouldn't be offended by I that. hope that every little girl out there listening to this <laughs> podcast is turning to her BFF and saying if I would get a million dollars first I'm gonna well, if, if I, I get a billionaire I'll give you one million <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> see that's why I'll never be a millionaire because I'll be like as soon as I get a million dollars I'll give you, you half, half of it <laughs> and it'll be like okay cool and then we both be like and half we're millionaires <laughs> and we become poor again <laughs> and then we're poor and we're like what happened I know how did this happen to us fuck you all we're like we're did we dedicate our lives to this podcast and nothing else we're like we're rich now you bastards and we just like cancel ourselves and that's it um that's how this one goes that's how this story ends that's how the story ends um should we talk about how we met yes okay. we wanted to talk about it yeah because they have because we're, we're friends we're friends and they have this kind of meet cute and we kind of have a meet cute we do have a meet cute so aggie and i met in chicago yeah. in what 20 2007 or something yeah i guess around there somewhere around yeah, there yeah, yeah and uh we were living in as it turned out well, my boyfriend, now he's my husband. was My boyfriend, now my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> they were both on a Herald team. Yeah. How I. every great story starts. It all starts at I.O. Chicago. On a Herald team. On a Herald team. And as it turned out, Aggie and I lived in the same building. And right below each or you live two stories above me. Yes. But we lived in like a courtyard building. So, I mean, it was there were lots of ins and outs of that place and yes. we were in the same, in the, like, same we had little, the same little door we had the same line in, the same yeah the same stairs so i remember night well we, not to get ahead of ourselves but <laughs> uh so our boyfriends kind of i don't know like did they arrange our meeting i feel well, like they were a little instrumental I, in us were definitely because getting together I so they could that, hang out well yeah they were like we want they hang didn't out. know what would they didn't know what was gonna happen. <laughs> no, and they were like, "Oh no!" We were like, "This isn't your story." <laughs> we this were like, oh, "Get away! Get out! <laughs> Go away! Go somewhere else!" <laughs> so then, yeah, I just remember like Mike, my ex-boyfriend, who was on the team with Griffin, was like, "Oh, uh, I don't know." He was like, "Do you know your neighbors or something?" I was like, "No," and he was like do you know this couple upstairs? And I was like, yeah, I've seen them. There's a couple upstairs. <gasps> I was seen. Well, I knew you lived upstairs. I lived downstairs from you. Yeah. I, I just always feel so invisible. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, that guy is on my Herald team. And the story sounds way less interesting now. It does now that we've articulated. So we set up a dinner. Yes. And we were like, let's be weird yes no this was you threw me under the bus at the dinner okay yes okay. I've, I've come to learn this in recent months so 
we both so we were like let's bring a recipe we broke i printed out something totally normal up, hold on let me okay. just back it up so we had this whole thing of like we're going to like this we is our first time meeting we're gonna be friends we're gonna cook we're gonna get to like it'll be like a reality show challenge we'll get together we'll cook our boyfriend's dinner yeah and through cooking dinner we will get to know each other and become friends and guess what it, it worked. worked out <laughs> So we had emailed each other in the week ideas of like what we were going to make and it was a surprise. Your recipe suggestion was a surprise to me. You know what? I, I forgot that the way that this played out when you explain, when you brought this up recently and you described how it played up, I was like, that, that can't be right. I surely I didn't do that. And then I looked, I checked the receipts Hashtag Galen Oprah guest slang terms. And Wait, you still have those recipes? I have the emails. Jeez. Well, I shouldn't have admitted it, but I do have the emails. And as it turns out, it does support your version of events. So take I, it away. I showed up at Irene's apartment with my little recipe for like, what was mine? Did you, did you see what mine was? The other one was? Yeah. It was like a like, like a, a pasta or something. Yeah, it was just like a pasta. But we actually switched over email. Oh, we did. Yes. Okay. Well, that's good. That's better for me for my point. Uh oh. <laughs> so and then Irene was oh, like, boy. I was like, I want to make this like normal pasta that anyone would like. And Irene was like, I want to make a watermelon soup with tapioca balls in it. I don't know why I wanted to do that. And then Irene was like, Let's make each other's recipes. Because I was just like in the spirit of a reality show. Yeah. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so then we like smoked a bunch of weed. As is, It was that's like training day. Irene's like, smoke this weed and then let's go to Jewel and buy a watermelon and fucking make soup out of it. And I was like, okay, Irene. And so then I like, and so then I like went to, we like went to the store and bought all this shit. And I was just like, what is happening? And then, uh, lo and behold. And then, yeah, now over 10 years later here we are then we went home we went back to irene's place it was a raving success i had to cut the top of the water it was like a cold watermelon soup with tapioca balls in it uh-huh i don't know what what else was in it i, don't I just know, but remember I do recall that we did get a watermelon that had seeds in it and it was supposed to be a seedless watermelon. it was supposed to be a seedless watermelon it was like a thai chilled dessert soup I mean, that actually does sound pretty nice. Sounds great. Yeah. But I also made like some kind of entree thing. I only, re- I just remember the silence as they were like trying to eat the soup. <laughs> it probably I, had seeds in it. I want you to know that when we talked about the meal afterwards, Griffin was like, I really liked that watermelon thing that Aggie made. He was like, that was really cool that she did that. And I was like, awesome. Well, thanks. That's why you guys are married. Yeah. Because he likes that Thai watermelon soup. <laughs> but you made it. But you, you got like, all the credit. Yeah. But, you I'm did now, it. but I did do it. But I'm giving the credit. back. <laughs> That's what friends Listen, are for. So this is how we met. <laughs> and then after that, we just like kind of always were like hanging out all the time. Yeah. We were like, oh, my God, we're kindred spirits. Yeah. Then we just like became like really good friends. After that, I don't remember what happened, but we did become like friends. We became great friends. And I remember just like, you know, random stuff like, um, I don't know, G chatting you at like 
1230 in the morning and being like, are you up? Let's smoke on the back porch. Yeah, we would always go and like have a cigarette or smoke weed or whatever, like on the back porch. It was really fun. It was just go for a chat. Just like a chat and like, yeah, like sit on the stairs and it'd be like kind of cold. We'd like whisper and talk about, and we would just be talking like so late. And just, like, I know it was so fun. It was so fun. We were taught what made us think about this. I mean, obviously, like Gal and Oprah are friends, and it makes us think about our own friendship, but also like the romance of their meet cute. And it's like, oh, it's told in such a romantic way. This like dark and stormy night, and this like late night conversation. And you had said like, oh God, like that sounds so romantic. This like yes late freewheeling conversation, <laughs> and it's Sorry, like but I'm, we had that. I know because it was like because when because the story of their um the story of their relationship sounds too like it almost sounds like too romantic to it sounds romantic. Yes, it does. And it has this like mean, cute element to it. Yes. And there are all these lesbian rumors flying about them. Yeah. And I was like, and when I came over, I was like, I don't know. I never believed those lesbian stories. But then I read this thing about this account of their first meeting. And I was like, well, that it does sound weird. This like all night thing. But then we started talking about how we first met. And we were like, but that's also kind of like a cute like story. You yeah, know exactly. I mean? like, and it's like if we like fell in love and got married, we'd be like, listen to how we met. And we just sit on the back porch and smoke and cigarettes. Smoke cigarettes <laughs> and but as it turns out, Aggie, I'm so sorry. I'm not sexually attracted to you in any way. That's okay. I'm not. Such- P.S. Tapioca soup looks too good to be real. How fun would it be to ladle it out of a real watermelon? <gasps> I'm losing my mind. I'm so happy. <laughs> That's my email to you from July 26th, 2008. 2008. 2 p.m. Wow. So you were excited about it. I was excited about it. How amazing will it be to ladle it out of a real watermelon? Wow. Okay. So throw you under the bus. You know, I mean, I just feel like some of that phrasing is a little hurtful. Okay. I'm sorry. I guess I was like pretty, I was like an enthusiastic participant. I didn't find the recipe, but I did enthusiastically consent to make the, uh, watermelon soup. Uh, Wow, we this um, email thread is titled Housewife Sunday. I know. <laughs> oh my God. This is a really old email thread from 2008. Wow. Oh my God. Like, let's getting high and going to the Davis. <laughs> That's ideal. I'm up for anything. We could even make picnic food and have a stoner boozy picnic at the park. <laughs> that could end with us all staggering to the Davis. Or the Lincoln Lanes. Lincoln Lanes. There was a uh, Halloween we spent at the Lincoln Lanes. Man, we had fun. We had a really fun, fun, fun ass time. It was fun back then in the good old days. Yeah, I guess. Um, I don't know. Is Griffin my Stedman? Griffin's your stead. Well, n- because it's just like we're still together. It's like well, he's then, not my servant. Mike is my Claude Dubois or whatever that guy's You're name was. Like Bumpus. Bumpy Bumpus. <laughs> Billy Bumpus. Billy Bumpus. Well, rest in peace. Bye, Billy. Um, He's, well, because <laughs> they broke up. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, sorry. But they weren't like a, they weren't like a four. They weren't, they, I don't think they were all hung out at the same time. No, and it sounds like Oprah was very anti-Bumpus from an early phase. Yeah, she never liked Bumpus. Did not like the bump. No. Um... Okay, so let me ask you a question. 
who would you rather be? Would you rather be an Oprah or a Gail? It's a hard con. It's a hard choice to make because I like like reading about Gail's ability to like waltz into a restaurant and have a meeting and da 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 and like live her life and have her kids and and to be sort of active in like interviews and whatever yes is kind of um is like kind of like that seems nice but then oprah has this level of wealth and access that is like totally unimaginable for most people yeah and also sort of i think that her child like i Everybody kind of wants kids. I kind of want kids. But I also feel like her ability to like live her life without having children, but to have children in her life that she supports and like love her and is yes. a part of her life is, is so, and, and to have this like amazing wealth and to like contribute in other ways is really special. I agree. So you saying Oprah? You'd rather be Oprah? I don't know. Who I'd, would you rather be? I'd rather be a Gail. All right. I guess I'll do that too. You don't have to do what I no, do. No, I don't know. I can't. That's why I can't decide because the reason that I would rather be Oprah is because she's more rich and has like better stuff and doesn't have kids. The reason I'd rather be Gail is because she does have kids and has like this cool job that she's able to do even into her 60s. It's very complex. It's like my whole problem with, you know, being a modern woman. Yeah. Is, it is do I want to be Oprah or Gail? I mean that it like they, they're all available to me. They embody. Yeah. The, the yeah. modern conundrum. But I feel like there's a certain point where like how rich do you have to be? And because if I were as rich as Gail, I'd be like, I'm so rich. Oh my but God. Yeah. Like, she's like vacationing on a yacht. Like she's. Oh, she went on a fine. yacht with, but Oprah brought her. Yeah, I went on a trip on a yacht with Tom Hanks. Fuck. It was like Tom Hanks, Michelle and Barack Obama and um, like one other like George Clooney or somebody like that. I would rather walk around a public place and not have people know or care who I was. Yeah, that's the thing. Like and but to me, the whole thing comes down to like. The kids. Is it better to have kids or not? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's like a choice for every woman. When I think about Once it, you make it, you like, can't make it. When I get to my early 60s, do I want to be interviewing R. Kelly and have him scream in my face? And the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like an artistic achievement, a, I mean, like a professional accomplishment, like... For her to get that interview at that point in time and for him to just be so batshit crazy, I think, like, I mean, she kind of has the best of both worlds. Gail? Yes. I think she kind of has the, yeah. And she gets to be, she gets to ground Oprah. She gets to, like... And she kind of gets that, like, access through Oprah because yes. Oprah shares so much with her and, like, Oprah needs someone to share that stuff with. She can't just... But Oprah can any, but it's like at any point Oprah could turn it off. You know, she could be yeah. like, "Fuck off, Gail." Yeah, but at the end of the day, she's still a billionaire. Mm -hmm. It's like she still has all this stuff that she's like giving to Gail. It's, it's just a weird. I, I it's don't know. So if, weird. I don't know if I would want to be Oprah, and I don't know if I would want to be Gail. I might not want that. I mean, you know, you don't want, you shouldn't want to be anybody but yourself. Well, that's what Gail would say. 
<gasps> and Oprah. And Oprah. Okay, so we're asking this question all series long. How how are Oprah and Gail a power couple? Okay, so Oprah and Gail are a power couple in my eyes because they um Well, they're both famous. They're both famous in their own right. Gail, I guess you could sort of argue was famous kind of because of Oprah, but I do think that she got this CBS show on her own merits and has a lot of her own achievements, like Mm -hmm. the R. Kelly interview, and we didn't even talk about how she was like the head anchor of that show while her... Co-anchor Charlie Rose was getting me too and fired. Les Moonves was getting me too and fired. Like the entire infrastructure was crumbling around her and she was reporting on it on the same network, yes. which is an incredible feat. And she is a very talented person. And she and Oprah kind of balance each other out. Um, she's worked on Oprah's magazine. And I also think that Oprah... I don't think would really have Oprah's wealth comes from and her success is from like the idea of her uh, relatability. Mm -hmm. And if Oprah didn't have a female friend like Gail, I don't think that the relatability would be there as much. Like she's always had this best friend that she tells everything to. And oh, Gail and Oprah talk on the phone five times a day. And it's kind of like, Gail is kind of living that's kind of the fantasy of Oprah is like someone who's going to call you five times a day just to chat and like always have something interesting yes. to say and always have something nurturing to say and always have something wise to say and but maybe Gail's the one giving the advice yeah maybe sometimes but maybe what do you have to say to, I mean like that's the whole fantasy of like Gail is like the Bella Swan and and uh and Oprah's the Edward where it's like anyone can project themselves onto Gail who's been like now coming into her own but has like for a long time been famous only sort of as Oprah's best friend but meanwhile Oprah's watching you sleep and but Oprah's the one who's watching glimmering in the moonlight who's like I wish I could be you you have no idea what it is to live in this prison (laughs) of fame that I've built around myself (laughs) (laughs) and then Gail's like make me like you and she's like no and then she's like okay you can interview r kelly and then like gail's really famous too (laughs) i don't know (laughs) what do you think i think uh yeah i think it's like what i said earlier of like recognizing their um the unique position they were in and choosing to band together and to like stick with each other and i just i i think i think that uh in terms of like making an impact on whatever industry you're in where you are not like the dominant person in the industry like finding finding your person and like like staying close to them and treating that sacred and like you know standing by them for decades is is really powerful and like they've both had their chance to shine and they both kind of shine in different ways and they both serve different functions and you know something we were saying earlier about 
before we were on the air <laughs> about um, that there is like a certain performative element to their relationship and so much of their videos feel you know like it's scripted out beforehand yeah. it's like their like the whole relationship feels very scripted yeah yeah and like especially when you start to look at the whole arc of it like going back to oprah's like initial show when i watched this episode where gail came on and oprah had like brought in diary entries that she made when she was younger and then reached out to Gail's mother and had the mother send love letters that some boy had written to her to Gail to Gail and like presented them to her on the show and like had her read it for the first time and you just see this look on her face of like oh my god this is so weird like she's like turning it over and looking at it for the first time and it's you're like what is the significance of this to her like what is this power move that oprah is making in this moment like there's some this that moment to me felt like a little bit strained and a little bit uneven and performative and then you look at them now and it's either um you know time kind of like rounding them out in a way or them like really being such pros at whatever their dynamic is and it's natural and it's like fun and it's genuine like it, it it's it's almost like whatever whatever the arrangement is they push past it and it like becomes something genuine yeah yeah like it's real like whatever is between them is real regardless like i think what we're seeing is very carefully curated but i think that like there's a realness to it yeah i think that's true like i think that they i mean that's crazy that show that she did it was, was crazy that is very weird um i don't know i don't know do yeah. you think that they're wielding power in a meaningful way yeah, for sure. I think so, too. For sure. I mean, I think that just Oprah, just by her existence, is like the first black female billionaire is like a meaning, meaningful position to have in the world. Yeah. And, and it's uh, the, there's also, uh, I feel like they talk about this on that um, WBZ podcast we mentioned, The Making of Oprah, where it's, it, it is uh, her, like, it's, it's that she's the first black female billionaire and it's also that like she uh, she created like this whole market and this whole like she spoke to a demographic that hadn't really been spoken to in like a holistic spiritual way and carved out such a like profound market and it, like financially but but also you know open people up to like the four agreements or you know whatever I like mean, all that stuff she, she <laughs> all that crazy stuff she got into some stuff she okay got into some she stuff. got into the secret she got into eckhart tolle she got into yeah the four agreements do you she, remember when jonathan franzen went on his show on her show i thought that was really tasteless of jonathan franzen honestly i thought well interesting because uh Oprah, I thought it was all, tasteless of her, to be honest. Okay. Okay. I love a disagreement. Well, okay. Here's my opinion. 
Jonathan Franzen shouldn't pop up and be like, well, you're too stupid for my book. Was which, that the situation? Yeah. So he basically, she put him on the, on the, whatever, the Oprah's book club. And he made some really shitty snide comments about how he felt like he was too good to be on the book club. Um, and my memory of this is that she was, on, he was on the book club. And one of the episodes was that she was bringing him it was like this like surprise trip where she was bringing him to these places he had grown up and was asking him like very triggering questions about his past and he was like I don't want to go there like I'm a novelist I've written my book like it's it's like here like I don't want to perform my trauma for you when like I've already pro like my art is processing this I think that might have been after because I think that she took him off the list when he said he didn't want to be on it oh and my my recollection of this whole thing I mean god I'm not standing up to John Franzen guys I mean but I'm not not like you, or whatever. I'm working right now at a copy of freedom on your bookshelf but, um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's signed but she put that on there too so I think that was like and I was like oh that was like so big of there's her. the corrections right there she put the corrections on it and he was like oh I'm like basically too smart for it then he came on her show and then she put the she put freedom on it too after he basically apologized for it and was like of course I'm honored to be on Oprah's book club and like that's a great thing well I I don't know. This is something we didn't look this up beforehand. Well, we didn't we, expect to be talking about Jonathan Franzen tonight. Whoever expects to be talking about Jonathan Franzen of all people. <laughs> but I do want to look it up now. I Yeah, me too. He expressed concern that Oprah's branding would repel male readers from his book and mildly accused Oprah of hitching her wagon to the, quote, high art literary tradition. Ouch. Yeah, fuck you, Jonathan. Wow, God, honestly. Yeah, he re Franzen referred to several of Oprah's book club picks as schmaltzy and one-dimensional. In response, Oprah, who had recently chosen Franzen's The Corrections for said book club, summarily rescinded her invitation for the author, author to appear on her show. Almost immediately, Franzen hedged and backtracked. And then uh, almost... And then nine years later, in 2010, she selected his book, um, Freedom, to yeah. be her, to be an Oprah book club selection Oprah, on her last season. Oprah Winfrey. Which, God, she's just always the bigger person. She's the bigger person. Well, she has to be. I mean, she's had to be. Oprah, And it's like, sorry, Jonathan Franzen, but this was like racist and sexist of you. Um, Oprah Winfrey is bent on demonstrating that estimates of the size of the audience for good books is too small, he said at the time. And that's why it's so unfortunate that being cast as arrogant Franzen and popular Winfrey, that mm. it is being cast as... And it's like, well, why would you... Whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a real watermelon soup situation. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Oprah, Can we call this episode watermelon soup. We have to <laughs> watermelon soup and Franzen on Oprah. Well, I do not think it's well. Who's the Oprah and who's the Franzen of the watermelon soup situation? I feel like you're the Oprah. 
No, no, no. I can't be. I don't want to be the Oprah. I mean, I don't want to be the Franzen, but I'm just I like, don't I'm checking this. the receipts. No, 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 no. I don't want to put this Franzen Oprah thing on our watermelon. The watermelon soup was good. Okay. Okay. It was Oops. good. I'm, I took, I, I accidentally. Put that back on now. <gasps> put it back on. I, I picked it a, a sticker on the microphone. Okay. Okay, cool. All right. So look, Franzen, Oprah, this was a, a kerfuffle between the two. We're on Oprah's side. I'll, we're always on anyone's side uh, against Who's Jonathan Franzen. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really like the corrections a lot. I mean, I didn't read Freedom. I didn't read Freedom either. What's his other book? He he has a terrible title for another book of it. It's like Saves the Day or something. Um, against the Day. I don't know. I guess I only have read uh, the corrections. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. That's Thomas Pinchon. Okay, well, we'll come oh my to god! That. Well, congratulations, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have to end this. Now. Okay, we okay. Uh, okay, one final question. Yeah, their relationship is it art? No, <laughs> <laughs> they're just friends. But they're also performers. I think the performance of their friendship might be considered art, but that's I think their friendship is not. The performance. I think their friendship is real and their performance of it is art. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, I think that it is art and I think that it is powerful and I think that people should take a page. Take a page from the book of Gail and Oprah. They're real friends. They're real artists. They're really smart. Uh, They're better than you and you need to act like them. And that is the corrections. That is the corrections (laughs) from the experts. You're welcome to everybody who's listening. (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, okay. rate us and review us. Okay. If you like this podcast, please rate us five stars on uh, Apple Podcast. Whatever you're listening <laughs> <Jumble> to. <Hutt. laughs> on Apple Podcasts. Uh, follow us on Instagram at TheExpert69. Follow us on Twitter. Also TheExpert69. Uh, and have a merry holiday. I don't know if this is going to come out around Christmas. It, it'll come out before. All right. Bye. Bye. Gonna trust the experts on this one. Yeah, you know me. Hello. Hi. Hi. Okay, okay, so we have one we final question. Something. We forgot something. <laughs> We're asking this one question of all of our power couples throughout this season. What is their connection to Jeffrey Epstein? What's the connection? Do Okay, here, let me ask you. Do you think that Oprah and Jeffrey Epstein have a connection? Yes. I know that she met Jeff. I know they've met. Do you? They must have met. I totally, I agree. I completely agree. Do you think that she's been on the Lolita Express? Um, no. I don't think so either. Do you think that she, what do you think her level of awareness? Uh, minimal. I don't really think. I mean, I think, look, it was a different time. Who knows? Aggie. It was a different time. Rumors circulated. People didn't look into things. I think it was the same as like Weinstein situation where, oh, he likes younger girls. He's kind of a pervert. Oh, he cheats on his wife. He cheats on his wife. But I don't think that she, I I don't think that she had any idea that it was anything close to what it was. No. Do you know what I bet? What? I bet Gail clocked it, had a bad vibe and was, and was like, I'm not going to a party with him. But I don't know. I mean, but then here's the, that's the thing where one's a billionaire and one's Gail. What, what does Oprah say to that? She's like, well, I'm going. I have to go. She's like, what do you mean you get a weird feeling? 
What's well, our Oprah got a weird feeling about Gail's husband. That's true. We should trust our guts. Trust your gut, everybody. That's the fifth agreement. That's right. And this is the experts. That's right. This has been the experts. Okay, wait. Do you think that there's a connection? Uh, not a substantial one, no. I think maybe just like a peripheral one. I think that they've met, but I don't think there's a substantial. And I think that her house in Chicago probably looked like Epstein's house in New York. And I think if she ever had a house in New York or Chicago, it would have like been that kind of like townhousey mansion. Which all rich people have when they live in places like that. Yeah. I could see Epstein making his a little bit like more cold and slick. Well, I don't think Oprah had that fucking picture of Bill Clinton wearing a ball gown or whatever. Hers would have been more tasteful. She definitely has better taste. That is a certainty. And that's an expert's guarantee. Okay. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week when we're talking about Nora Ephron and Bernstein. Carl Bernstein. Bye. Bye.